This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmit. And uh, if Sam if Sam has a little trouble this week, we're going to have to excuse him. He's had a he's had like the world's worst case of strep throat. So, Sam, <laughs> you're playing wounded. You're playing hurt today. You're still in the game, and we appreciate the effort. Yeah, I've been through about 28 diagnoses this week. I yep. was I was falsely diagnosed positive with COVID, then negative, then another negative, and falsely diagnosed negative with strep, and then positive, and so we finally got it all figured out, and I'm I'm back among the world of the living now. And so, what we've learned from all of this is that medical tests can't be relied on. <laughs> <laughs> I still make it a point to panic. Okay, well that's true because <laughs> because we are you and I are both professional hypochondriacs and that's panickers. Correct. And it does no good for either one of us to tell the other person how they're feeling because then the other person gets those symptoms right away. That's correct. Lice, pinworm. It's going to get me scratching. 100%. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, when I had this chest pain, that was that. Oh, my goodness, I feel the same thing. So, uh, yeah, that's why we probably shouldn't compare medical notes. all that. But we appreciate you being here so that we can wrap up our series on uh, the book of Jonah. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. And uh, as we left things last week, well, well, for people that have missed the first two, can we give them a nutshell of where we are in the story about what's happened with Jonah and Nineveh up to date here? Uh, sure. So the, Jonah is compartmentalized into four different chapters. And so the first chapter is when God comes to the prophet Jonah, who's from the northern part of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to declare a message of judgment to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah, now Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is notoriously known for being one of the most wicked empires in the history of humanity. The first terroristic empire, they were known for just unbelievable cruelty to people that they conquered. Um, Think ISIS, think some of the worst parts of humanity. And so Jonah says, absolutely not, and he gets on a boat and he goes in the opposite direction toward Tarshish which is probably in Spain, God hurls a storm at Jonah's boat, <laughs> and, and, the, and the merchants and the mariners on the boat are like, oh my goodness, they start throwing things overboard. They wake Jonah up as he's sleeping at the bottom of the boat and say, call on your God. Um, and so Jonah doesn't um, because he's angry at God for this whole mission, and eventually they cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah to say, hey, you're the reason why this is happening And so they demand, hey, what's going on? And so Jonah had told them that he was running from his God. um, And so he says, look, the way that you're going to get peace is to pick me up and throw me overboard, which shows you kind of how intense Jonah is in his obstinance because he doesn't say, hey, turn the boat around. I'll be obedient. He He still doesn't call out to God and beg for mercy. He just says, I'd rather die. Throw me overboard. Um, And so when they do, they throw him overboard, and the sea goes calm. And these mariners worship God and make oaths and start worshiping God. And God had appointed a fish or some great sea creature to swallow Jonah up. And that's chapter 1. 
So chapter 2 then is Jonah's prayer. So the fish takes him and goes down to the depths of the sea, which Jonah equates to the grave. He talks about it being Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave or, or hell, really. And he goes down, 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 and he prays that God's mercy upon him. And he recognizes that he is chased after idols, and, and he recognizes that he needs God's mercy and that salvation is of the Lord. And he offers up this amazing prayer prayer of salvation. And it says, you know, at the end of those three days, three nights, the Lord appointed the fish to vomit him up on dry land. And there we go. And that's chapter two. Then in chapter three, you get God saying, like you said last week, okay, now that I have your attention, attention. (laughs) go to Nineveh, preach the words that I'm going to tell you. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and he delivers this eight word sermon. You you can tell he's not into it. He doesn't want them (laughs) to repent. He just says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the totally unexpected happens. The king of Nineveh, which is like the chief of wickedness, these the unbelievable kingdom of wickedness, says, okay, we need to repent. And he tells everybody from the greatest to the least to put on sackcloth and to repent in dust and ashes. He even dresses up the livestock and the animals. <laughs> like, I mean, like man and beast be covered <laughs> with sackcloth. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's intense. He's all in. And Jonah's kind of going, uh, you know, he, he does not want this to happen. And so he goes outside the city. But the last verse of chapter three is when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so you're expecting Jonah 4 Somebody who typically goes around preaching the gospel, when you see the beginnings of a revival starting, you're expecting Jonah 4 to be, and Jonah just rejoiced greatly that they heeded the word and they were turning from their evils. Uh, no. And that's not the way it goes. Yeah, no, that, that that's no. Jonah 4 1 in my Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So, <laughs> so basically, Jonah pitched a fit uh, yeah. at what had happened in Nineveh. Um, he, you know, he goes outside and he, 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 I just, it's like a, it's almost, I see a shake, like a shaken fist here. He's like, mm-hmm. Oh Lord, is not this what I said? You know, through <laughs> clenched teeth when I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. Imagine this being shouted in anger at God. <laughs> you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And what he says is, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Ugh. Man, was he angry <laughs> about he ever, this whole thing. Yeah, he, he is having some serious flashy anger going on here he is and you know the one thing that occurs to me as i was reading those verses i'm thinking jonah should be really glad that he is a god that is slow to anger that he's gracious and merciful because if i was almighty god ruler of the universe and i had a disobedient prophet shaking his fist in my face <laughs> shouting at me that way i would be really tempted remember the old remember the old, yeah <laughs> Remember the old Monty Python flying circus stuff back? I'm telling people how old I am now. Vaguely. They used to have those cartoons where somebody would be doing something and a giant foot would come out of the sky and just, <laughs> whack, you just step step on them. And that's how I would imagine it being. Is that Jonah would be shaking his fist going, isn't this what I told you, Lord? 
whip. You know, it's like he gets shoved flat to the ground. Uh, but no, God, uh, God tolerates that and actually comes back with an interesting question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Hmm. It's like, Sam, that just struck you because God doesn't say, Jonah, why are you angry? He knows why, obviously he knows why he's angry, but he asks Jonah, do you do well? To be angry. Um, that to me seems like uh, it's just God's God's patience there and his way of kind of leading Jonah along through this process uh, is just is great to me by asking him, do you do well? This idea of like, should you be angry? Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to ask that question again, by the way, later on in the same chapter, you'll see. I mean, because I think that we tend to see ourselves in this story in, in, as the Jonah character, right? Mm-hmm. Where I, I tend to identify as, I, I, you know, this idea that that we've got an enemy out there that we're supposed to take the word of the Lord to and we're not happy about that because we'd really rather that God would just wipe out our enemies, whatever those enemies are. What, like you've said, who are your Ninevites? Everybody's got their, their Ninevites. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter. Sometimes it's political people. Sometimes it's whatever it is. It, it, I think that's mostly where we're at now. I, I was ta- talking with you not long ago there was a poll that was released and i can't i think it was from northwestern university i can't remember for sure but they said for the first time since they started measuring these things that you're in your political affiliation you hate the enemy your adverse political political adversary you hate them more than you're aligned with the people on your own side so usually in politics you 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 have your friends, and that's what your own philosophic beliefs, and that determines your loyalties more than your animosity toward the other side. And for the first time ever, it's flipped. And so now it's animosity driving our politics. Well, I will sign on to that and say, plus one, that's me. You know, I mean, yeah, I, And I've already told too. you that. I've told you that I was of one particular group, you know, one tribe for my whole life, and I became very angry over the way things were, and I I ran to the other tribe, and I don't like them, but I dislike my first tribe a little more right now, and so this is where I find myself, and it feels really kind of weird and a little gross. It's like I, I find myself, you know, like, Hey, kumbaya, let's hug each other with people that I'm like, under any other circumstance, (laughs) you and I would not be getting along about this issue. But I'm like, well, you know, and and so I think a lot of us find ourselves at a very awkward situation with that. But so we we look at Jonah here, who is upset about the fact that God didn't dump on his on his enemies because he knew these were going to be his enemies. Um, And God is asking him. Is it right? Do you do well? Is it good for you to, to be angry about that? Mm-hmm. You know, and what's interesting, it's like God sovereignly almost puts these words into Jonah's mouth because they're teaching points. If we stop for a moment and we consider what it is that Jonah's saying, it actually takes us back into the history of Israel. Um, and so, so the first words that come out of Jonah's mouth after he says, isn't this what I said when I was in my country? <laughs> Uh, he says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And so he is quoting directly out of the the mouth of what's given to Moses in Exodus 34. So let me, let me, let me give you the scene so you can understand what's going on here. 
In Exodus 34, this is right in the aftermath of God on Mount Sinai with Moses, right? And while God is in his first meeting with, with Moses on Mount Sinai, giving him the Ten Commandments, it's, there's this sound down in the camp. Mm-hmm. And all of Israel has been saying, we will obey God, we will obey God. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And right in the middle of that, they're down at the base of the mountain, and they're worshiping a golden calf. They're getting drunk. They're doing detestable things that we won't get into on, on air. Yeah. But Moses comes down, and he's so furious at what they're doing after they just said that they would obey. They're worshiping these idols and everything, that Moses smashes the commandments. And then Moses, God shows mercy. He invites Moses back on the mountain to give him the covenant again. And it says, this is the quote, it's exactly the same. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast loves for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so the words that are coming out of Jonah's mouth are, I knew this is what you did to my people when we were coming out of Egypt, when we worshipped pagan gods in the wilderness. You showed mercy to me, and now he's furious because God is showing that same compassion that he showed for the nation of Israel at its birth. God is now showing to Nineveh, and Jonah is furious with it. Mm. And so then the very next line that Jonah offers is, you know, you have these two of the mightiest prophets in the history of Israel, one of them being Moses, for sure. But the next one up to Jonah's point in history, for sure, would have been Elijah. And Elijah lived right before Jonah, within a century of Jonah. And what is Elijah's ministry? Elijah's ministry is to go around to the northern tribes of Israel, the same, the same place Jonah comes from. And Elijah was like, wake up! Wake up! You know, he's looking at these the wicked king Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and the whole nation is chasing after these pagan gods. Mm-hmm. Nobody loves the Lord. And Elijah has this great contest on Mount Carmel where God on this mountain proves that he's superior to the, the idols, the, the fake gods of Baal and Asherah. And Elijah thinks, oh, the whole nation is going to turn. Israel is going to give their hearts back to God since he has proved to be the mighty God. And Israel doesn't do that. And in fact, Jezebel says, I'm still coming for you and I'm going to still worship all these pagan gods. And what does Elijah do? He goes, runs south, goes and sits under a tree, under the shade of the broom tree. And he says what? I want to die. Please kill me. Please take my life from me. Yeah. Um, for it's better for me to die than to live. I'm no better than my father's. And so now get this. Jonah is saying the same thing except get – so hear the contrast. Elijah says, oh, my goodness, Israel will not listen to the Lord. They won't repent. They won't turn. Please let me die because Israel won't come back to you, God. And now you have Jonah who's who's going to Nineveh preaching repentance, and they're like, we're in. We're in. We want to repent. <laughs> we're, we're signing up. Yeah. And now you have Jonah, who just like Elijah, except the total inverse, is saying, "I just I don't want to live anymore. It's better for me to live than, than, to die than to live." And he's the anti-Elijah. So he's he's bringing in the mercy that God showed to Israel at its birth, and he's accusing God. Right? He's saying, mm-hmm. "You're gracious and you're merciful. I don't want you to show them what you showed to Moses." Yeah. And then. 
when he's he's saying, I want to die, just like Elijah wanted to die when Israel wouldn't repent, I want to die because the Nineveh, Ninevites will repent. It's crazy. And then it says that uh, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. I've, <laughs> I've often wondered about that because it's like, okay, you know, if I'm going to go outside and sit somewhere, if I take the time to, like, construct a shelter, it means I'm going to hang around for a little while. It's like, yeah. I mean, he didn't just go out and plop down on a nearby rock and, you know, look at this. He intended to sit there mm-hmm. and watch for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to, I often wonder, Sam, do you think that Jonah was kind of like, all right, God will change his mind. God will change his mind. Fine. I'm, you know, right now, let's, let's see how long, Lord, this repentance in air quotes actually continues. <laughs> um, and whether he was actually, you know, it, like, I feel like he was going to hang around for a while to see whether maybe those Ninevites would change their mind and God would change his mind and he would get to watch that big meteor come out of the sky like he wanted to <laughs> in the first place, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think there's a both and. I think there's part of Jonah that is saying, I'm going to sit outside the city because I want nothing to do with those people. Mm-hmm. But there's also the hope maybe God will send fire and brimstone sure. down on this place, and I don't want to be inside of it. And um, that was something that you pointed out about the fact that Jonah, like, immediately removed himself from mm-hmm. the city. It's like he preached the message, they repented, and Jonah got angry and left right away because mm-hmm. he didn't want to see. And and you pointed out that with no one there to to disciple them, with no one there to 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 shepherd them in this faith and repentance, Within a very short period of time, the Assyrians had reverted to form and come and destroyed the northern kingdom Mm -hmm. of Israel. So Jonah kind of brought a lot of this on himself. Like, he removed himself from the situation, and I think probably, Sam, knowing that that was going to deny them something that they needed. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's fascinating because you you don't know what would have happened if Jonah had gone back and he'd really discipled them. Yeah, you know, would would the Lord have blessed those efforts? Would the Assyrians have have turned course? Would Nineveh would Nineveh have changed forever? Um, what a difference it, in history that would have been! Oh my goodness, <laughs> radically, I mean, radically about different. It. I mean, the, the Assyrians were like, I'm, they, first of all, they just the Assyri- what did the Assyrians do? They conquered people. Assyrians were conquering. They liked to conquer everybody and torture and torture. You know, and, but we wouldn't have Samaritans had the Assyrians mm-hmm. not conquered True. the northern tribe. There would be no Samaritan people. I mean, all of history, all of these things we know, hinged on that. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. maybe now you now now I'm reading between the lines here, but maybe hinged on Jonah's decision to stomp outside the city and go. I knew you would be nice to them, Lord. <laughs> you know that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, rather than sending for reinforcement, hey, I need some more prophets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I need some some Levites to come over here and help teach. He just yeah. goes outside the city and says, either God's going to destroy them, or I'm going to sit outside the city and go home. So there's a message for us today. <laughs> Which, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, in, you know, in the church, it's a lot of people get really focused on, hey, you know, how many people are, are coming in on Sunday? How many visitors do you have? How many, um, you know, it, Jesus never tells us, go therefore and make visitors out of all the world, you know, that kind of thing. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. You know, mm-hmm. it's like God wants to have that deeper relationship with you. God wants, you know, that's the the desire of the church should be, yes, to have people come in and and 
and hear the music and listen to the message and have and experience this program. But the desire is that they would come to faith and be made into disciples. So when a church looks at the numbers rather than looking at the quality of disciples that are being made in their church, I think that there's a warning here from Jonah, which is if you pass over that discipleship spot, don't be surprised when the Assyrians come back and jack you up later. You know, it's it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And I think that's what's you know when we talk about uh, you know where we're at with our country. I mean, I, I I think it's smart when we're going through Jonah to take these messages and apply them. You know, because you and I we land on opposite ends of the political stuff a lot of times. Sure. And you know, there I can get heated. You can get heated. We have passionate thoughts about different things, but at the end of the day, we're under the Lord's banner. Right. And and one of the things that is so hard when you read Jonah is you know when he says, "I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster." You know, it's one, yeah, he knew that. The Ninevites need to know, know that. that. Oh, boy, that's good. You're exactly you know, right. Yep. yep. They need to know that because, by the way, when, when Moses says that in, in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, the second part of that comes along and says, but he will by no means clear the guilty, and he'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. So guess what? When that iniquity, when 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 Jonah does not disciple them to turn away from that iniquity, guess what happens? That iniquity visits the generations to come, just like the Lord promised. And just about in the same time frame, yeah. children and children's children, that's when the Assyrians came down and invaded Israel. And so it's hard because, man, there's real anger. Like when I look at some of the things that are being done in our nation, I get I get really frustrated. I get really angry. I see really, really precious, beautiful things being torn down, and I want to go after those that are tearing them down, and I want to shake them, and I want to go outside the city and wait for God to drop bombs. (laughs) (laughs) But I can promise that's not going to be the way the nation heals. It's just not. not. And and you know what? And God's not going to drop the bombs either. Well, he may. <laughs> hey man, God one, can do what he wants. One can always hope, Samuel. Is that <laughs> yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are days. There yeah. are days. So Jonah has constructed a booth. He's sitting outside of the city. He says he sat in it under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from its discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Because of the plant. I just, I, I love the word exceedingly. Like Jonah's over the moon. He's like, this is so great. Look, this plant has come up and it's protecting me from this sun. This is comfortable. It's great. And then the next day why comes. You, why do you think, why do you think he's exceedingly glad? Do you think it's just a really hot desert and he's like, oh, thank you? I think, you know, let me just say, I think that it's, Jonah had to recognize where the where the plant came from. We had this conversation yeah, before we turned the mics on. Yeah. I think Jonah knew. I, you know, he knew where he was. He was in that dry, arid environment. He built a booth. He knew there were no plants next to where he built this we booth. We should probably explain what a booth is, by the way. Sure, go ahead. A, a booth is just like a tent. It, right. It's an, it's often the same word that's used for tabernacle right. in the Hebrew. So it's not like a carnival booth, like you're going around, you know, and there's rides and everything. A booth is like a tent. It's a place where you where you dwelled. And it was, and they were like smaller, portable, designed to be moved quickly. Right. Isn't that right? Yeah, because that yeah. was like the festival of 
of booths, mm -hmm. you know. Um, when they left out of Egypt, that's how they dwelled in the wilderness. It's temporary housing booths. is what we're saying. Yep. It's, it's temporary housing. So so he was he was there in his tent-like booth sort of thing, and they're not going to, you know, I mean, yeah, they're going to provide some shade, but a plant is is different. You know, it's like, and also I think that he knew that God had done that. And he saw that as, this is, again, the, this is the gospel according to Mark here. It doesn't necessarily say that, but I think Jonah <laughs> knew, don't you? I yeah. think Jonah had to say, Lord, you know. Okay, your kindness. Your kindness. You have, and and to some extent, maybe like, okay, God, maybe you're seeing things my way. You know, yeah. Jonah's like thinking this is okay. And then the next day shows up, <laughs> and God appointed uh, a worm to visit the plant, uh, and that was the end of the plant. <laughs> I'm starting. I'm thinking back to like the hurricane days when the power goes out and you're without air conditioner, and you start getting like really emotional. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if you've ever had to spend weeks without air conditioner in the summer, like you start getting moody. Jonah gets very moody. And okay, and you also know this though, right? After a storm, sometimes we get a little bit of the cool breeze, right? Mm -hmm. So the storm comes through. For people that don't live in Florida, if there's anybody listening to this podcast that doesn't live in Florida, there's when, this, when the hurricanes blow through, we lose power for days or weeks because we can't figure out how to keep our power lines safe from the storms down here. So that's really the big thing. It's like our structures are strong. They don't blow down a lot. We've got building codes and everything <laughs> else, but it doesn't apply to power. And in Florida, when the air conditioning goes out, we all suffer. So yeah. what also happens, though, is a storm tends to blow through and we get a little bit of good weather and so sometimes we get some cool breezes after a storm blows through and i've been there after the storm you, you open every window of the house you're fanning yourself furiously with <laughs> with paper fans and then a cool breeze comes wafting in the window and you are praising god and extolling his name and lord you have sent a breeze thank you lord kind of thing uh, you know it's a great moment you know you have this enormous relief and it lasts for about an hour and then the heat comes back and then you're mad lord why couldn't the breeze continue so i think there was some of that going on here with jonah you know he was irritated you know so there's another thing that, that's going on so you got to imagine jonah he's in in this booth baking in the sun so his little booth is just turning into the oven but when the plant comes up this vine it's giving shelter to the booth so it's such relief and that's that's actually throughout the old testament that's seen as a sign of god's prosperity so mm -hmm. like if you go back to the days of solomon when it's talking about how prosperity came to Israel, you know, during during his reign, one of the lines that's in First uh, Kings four twenty five is it says, "And every man was under his vine." Uh, in Micah four, it'll say that every man shall sit under his vine. It's talking about prosperity because everybody's in their shade; they've got comfort, and that's the idea. And well, here's Jonah now, that's and he's under his vine, so it's a sign of God's prosperity over him. So that's that's absolutely intentional. It's meant to be a sign of God's prosperity for sure. So God sends a worm; the worm attacks the plant, and the plant dies. And then, when the Which, sun rose, along with that means what? God's prosperity is being taken away from you, Jonah. Mm. And then God said, Jonah, here's another thing for you to think about. He sent a scorching 
east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. You had a note about the scorching east wind. Yeah, so, I mean, the east wind in general, if you go through the Old Testament, there's about 20 times where the east wind is mentioned. You, you add up all the other ones, southern, northern, or western winds, it's five in total, but there are 20 times where the eastern wind comes, and it's usually associated with God bringing about some mighty powerful event or a judgment or locusts or something like that. Um, so it's always coming with some sense of judgment. So when it's, or power. And so when there's a scorching east wind, Jonah would have understood this, you know, that this is like a miraculous, mighty thing. This east wind comes and it's, it's just hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, cause it's bringing all that desert that's to the east of where Jonah is. All of that is just coming and bringing this baking heat in addition to him having no shelter. Um, from the heat underneath this vine, and now the sun beats down on his head. Mm. <laughs> Every comfort is just taken away from him. And Jonah gets even angrier and once mm-hmm. again says to God, hey, look, you know, would you just kill me here? <laughs> you yeah. want to die? It's better for me to die than to live. And God says to Jonah, this is interesting because he doesn't ask him about the wind here. He, he asks him the same question again. Do you do well? to be angry for the plant. Mm -hmm. And Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I can't help but feel like, like you were just saying, that Jonah kind of understood what the plant was all about and Mm -hmm. that there's more here than just you took away my shade, Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, That he understands what what God is asking him. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yeah, and and you're going to find this, especially if you go through, if you're familiar with the prophets, um, and the writings from this particular period of time, one of the metaphors that God uses again and again for the entire nation of Israel is he calls them a vine. Um, if you read Psalm 80, which, you know, pause pause the recording mm-hmm. and go read Psalm 80. You know, it, it talks about how God brought Israel out of Egypt as a vine and he grew it and it was this tremendous plant that gave gave shade to the entire nation and its branches went out to the sea and it shoots to the river and then God brought enemies that tore it down you know this is going to be after Jonah that right. Psalm 80 comes along um and you find that that same language talking again and again about how God um treats Israel as a vine. Well, that's that's not an accident. The, one of the prophets that writes immediately after Jonah, so hang with me, is Hosea. And we talked about them either last week or the week before. And Hosea is a prophet that writes to the northern tribes, so Jonah's people. And he says, you know, you're worse than these idolatrous nations because you have a relationship with the Lord and you still act like them. You still do all their wickedness. You you treat the Lord like a husband who's chasing after his prostitute wife. You give your hearts to anything and everything for a moment, for a moment's pleasure. So you're like a prostitute. And Hosea is one of the longer books of the Minor Prophets, but I want you to listen to how he finishes because he's writing right in the aftermath of Jonah. Listen to this. This is Hosea chapter 13 verses 15 and 16. So he's writing to Israel. He says, 
though Israel may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, there it is again, Mm -hmm. the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come rising from the wilderness. Well, what's the east wind going to be? It's going to be Assyria itself coming from the east, Mm -hmm. rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. In other words, Israel's going to fall. Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel that was in the territory of Ephraim. So it'd be like saying Washington, D.C. to us. Okay. The, it's Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed into pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. And so wow, that when, does sound like the Assyrians. That's the Assyrians coming. And so what? when God says the east wind is coming – And then he says all this stuff is going to be what that looks like. He's talking about the Assyrians being the east wind. And what are they going to do? Well, they're going to tear down Israel, which is compared to this vine that gives shade to all the people. Mm -hmm. And so this, what we see with Jonah here, this vine that grows up and gives shade to Jonah and prosperity that withers away. God brings about a worm to tear it down and this east wind that just takes it away. That is, I don't think Jonah would have realized that. But I think it's a prophetic picture of what's to come, and that is going to happen not just to Jonah, but to the entire nation. This east wind of the Assyrians is going to come upon all of Israel to tear down the vine. Mm, That's interesting. And, you know, I would also say that it kind of gives you a new light on Jesus in John 15, which is Mm -hmm. where he's talking about the vine and the branches. Jesus starts off with the statement, says, I am the true vine. You know, it is. It's but but it's if you're not understanding this idea of the vine and Israel and these kinds of things that 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 is a bit of a non sequitur. Why would Jesus say he's the true vine? Who mm-hmm. was the false vine? Yeah, exactly. Right. And exactly. I think that I think we see that now. I think that we understand that what Jesus was saying is that you know what? You guys are 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 looking at at Israel, this nation that's going to bring shade or God's blessing to the I am the true vine um i think that that is uh that that takes on a little bit more meaning gosh it's so comforting it is you know because you can look at israel and Israel's going to be torn down this the northern tribes the southern tribes they all get torn down you know countries come and go empires come and go all the vines can be torn down eaten by worms or taken out by the east wind and jesus comes and says if you want shelter If you want a shelter that is never going to wither, you want a shelter that will never, ever fade away, I'm the true vine. Come find shelter under me and my kingdom. And that invites us. And then he says, you know, like, you're going to become the branches that come out of the vine that give shade to the other people. You know, you're going to become a part of this kingdom that becomes something far more beautiful than any kingdom. Even Israel itself, the apple of God's eye, you're going to be far greater than them. And you're going to become a part of this. And that, man, it's so easy to get caught up in in thinking through, you know, I want what's best for Israel. Mm -hmm. I want what's best for America. And by the way, America is a wonderfully special place that God has blessed and should be protected. And I think we should fight for the things that are beautiful for our country. I absolutely do. I believe that with all of my heart. But my first allegiance has to be to the true vine. Because this vine, you know, our country, it's not an eternal one. It's not. His is. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, before we move off the, the vine, <laughs> this is the question of the vine, mm-hmm. um, 
you and I were talking, or actually, I think texting about this. Um, you were suggesting that the that the vine was a castor oil plant. Yeah. So, where did that come from? How did you fig- how did you hear that? Commentaries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a Sam original, but the word that's used there, kikion, is in the Hebrew. It's only used here in Jonah chapter four. Um, so this plant that comes up, it's it's nowhere used in the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, and so commentaries they trace, you know, the other Semitic languages of the region and words that are close, and they come with one of two options. The most common is the castor oil plant, um, which is kind of a tall weed that grows up. It has these big star-like leaves that come out, and would be would be very nice to be under that. Um, and then the other translation is a gourd, which is like cucumbers or something like that. Um, the problem with that is it ha- it would have to have grown alongside the edge of his booth because they're heavier plants that right. don't grow straight up without some kind of support. Right. So most people think that the kikion, which is the plant or the vine, is actually a castor oil plant, which now, is would make that much more interesting, well, the, the isn't imagery. It, isn't it poisonous, the castor oil plant? So castor oil is used for a lot of things and can be used for medicinal, but the seeds of the castor oil plant – are what make one of the most deadly toxins and poisons on the planet. It's called ricin. Um, and if you look up the species name of the castor oil plant, ricin is in the name. Mm-hmm. And so those seeds were used for poison in the ancient world. And so if that was the castor oil plant, I mean, think about now that imagery. Here you have this plant, and yeah, it brings you shade, but the seed coming out of that plant are poisonous, yeah. you know, which <laughs> Elijah would have agreed with like israel had become utterly wicked um and i don't know that that's intentional but that's where my brain goes like that's just i mean the imagery and i don't think jonah you know he gets super angry about this plant and we know that his problem is he's very much all israel or nothing and no one else kind of a guy um but i think this is a prophetic picture and hosea picks up on it and hosea absolutely runs with this imagery of the vine being taken out by the east wind. Mm. You know, the vine looks good on the outside, and it maybe provides you some shade, but there's poison on the inside. Yeah, a castor oil plant is really beautiful, actually, if you look up Google Images. And I just kind of feel like that's a a little bit of a caution to us to say, you know what, we spend a lot of time saying that this looks really good on the outside, but we have to remember that God knows what's inside of it. You know, he does. Yeah. He knows the inside. So God knocks down the plant. He, he brings the wind. They have this conversation about the Jonah being very angry. And it says in verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Um mm. You had an interesting thing. I remember we talked about this once before, and it was in the context of a historical thing mm-hmm. about knowing the right hand from the left. Yeah. So in the in the ancient Assyrian architecture or archaeology where they find these old um, excavation ruins and – what's the artifacts is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, so they find these artifacts like the Apkalu. You remember the right, – we talked the, about this. The priests where, with the fish costumes. Yeah, the right. sages that come out with the, the fish outfits. Well, in ancient Assyria, whenever you see these people that take on you know religious 
purposes. Mm-hmm. You'll find them lifting one hand, and they're usually holding like a pine cone or some kind of an evergreen imagery toward the heavens. So one hand goes up toward the sky, and the other hand is going toward the earth. And it's usually holding a bucket or some kind of a tool that's for like manual labor. And the reason for that is one hand was divine and the other hand was worldly. In other words, this is what you do for the world and your work, and this one is what you do with worship. And so when the Lord says, you know, he's, he's using the language of the land, when he says, you know, they, they don't know their right hand from their left, what he's saying is they can't tell the difference between sacred and secular. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't know how to worship. They don't know how to work. They, nobody has told them what to do. And so that would have been language that was common in the Assyrian culture, right hand, left hand, one is sacred, one is secular, and no one has been there to train them. It's an indictment on Jonah here. He left right after he preached. There was no reading of the word. He didn't call for the re- the battalions of priests to come in and teach the laws <laughs> right. you know, of God or anything like that. Um, I also think it was interesting, uh, as I thought about Jonah's reaction, this idea of Jonah he was upset about the fact that God was going to show mercy to Nineveh because he felt as though God's mercy should be something that was exclusively Israel's, mm-hmm. um, that sort of nationalism kind of thing. And apart from the nationalism aspect of it, we've talked about the tribal divides within our country, largely along political lines, but sometimes other ideologies. But this idea that I try very hard to be a centrist, I don't always ex- – I'd lean one way or the other and get yelled at for all the time. But I, basically, nobody likes my political views. That's what I'm trying to say. No, I'm not, nobody thinks I'm smart. But I, I don't. He- I don't even try. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I hear this from all sides, though, where they're all claiming God's blessing or God's support for their position. And I'm like, well, first of all, you got to realize you guys are like diametrically opposed to one another. So if God is for you, then you would say God is against this other guy over here. And Jonah here is saying, Lord, you're going to be nice. You're going to be merciful to the Ninevites. And mercy should be something that is for me, for my vine, for my people, for Israel. And God is trying to tell Jonah, look, I am above that fray. I am above this argument. You know, you're worried about this vine that's providing you comfort. Great. I took the vine away. Now you're uncomfortable and you're angry about that. But you're not angry about the fact that you just wanted me to stomp out 120,000 people. Mm-hmm. That the shade, your shade, your the blessing that you have, your little bit of comfort here is worth more to you than the lives of 120,000 people. And when I look for a modern-day application to that, what I'm going to preach to the tribes here is you're sitting here talking about God's blessings are on our side. God is, you know, and, and we should be the ones that feel good about things and be comfortable with the way things are, and we should be the ones that are enjoying the shade and God, you should just strike down those others over there. Whatever side you're on, you want God to lob grenades at the other side. And God is saying, are you telling me I shouldn't have mercy on the, on, on the 120,000, figuratively speaking, the 120,000 people on the other side? You know, God is trying to tell us, I think, in this story, we don't get to tell God who he has mercy on. You know, <laughs> yeah, we don't get to dictate that to him. And it seems sometimes 
like we want to, like we and we oh, meaning sure. Christians or Americans or whatever. It seems like we want to decide who should have God's favor and who shouldn't. And and I love the fact that he ends us with and much cattle, which we talked about earlier. I think is a reference to the fact that the the king of Nineveh did it said wrap the beasts in sackcloth. So God was <laughs> God was having mercy on the cows too. They're like, worshiping like they, too. They're worshiping. They repented also. I mean, they were in some sackcloth. So let's be nice to them. Uh, it is kind of a funny statement, but it, I think it does go back to the fact that God can have mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy. Mm. Uh, we are not the arbiters of God's mercy. And thank goodness for that, because I'm going to tell you. Yeah, there wouldn't be much left. There wouldn't be much left. And, <laughs> you know, again, back to that giant foot from the sky. Boink, that's the end of us. You know, one of the things that we talk about every so often is. Uh, how each of us was, you know, when we first came to faith. Uh, our stories are pretty similar in in many regards in that respect. And um, if if you were if you had like known me before I became a Christian, and you were like giving a list of people most likely to become Christians, <laughs> huh. my huh. name would not have been on that list. You know, if you were if you were compiling a list of people, Sam, most likely to have God's mercy, would you put Sam Caston Smith on that list? prior to your conversion nope yeah so i'm kind of thankful that god has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and i think you know there's this is where the fine line gets is because god doesn't god doesn't look at the wickedness of nineveh he doesn't look at the wickedness of assyria and say well you know just roll over and deal with it you know he he tells jonah to go and to preach against it Right. He, he tells them to go and to call out the wickedness. So this isn't saying give up biblical convictions. That's not godly either. What it is saying is, is if you go and you preach, you preach truth that's going to be hard to hear. You call people to the biblical understanding of what truth is. It needs to be dripping with mercy and humility and love. You know, God calls us to, to preach truth truth and love. Jonah is not preaching truth and love. <laughs> no, it's not. At all. You know, he's preaching truth with the hope that God brings the boot down. And and so this is the difference. God gets to claim vengeance. If God wants to claim vengeance, and I think that's part of the message that's so hard to hear for Jonah and for people who are reading this afterward, if God wants to take the vine of Israel and smash it to the ground and consume it with a scorching east wind... That's his prerogative. He's God. Right. If God wants to do that to the Assyrians, which, by the way, if you read the minor prophet Nahum, (laughs) Nineveh gets theirs. Read that book, and if you really hate Nineveh, that will make you feel a little better. (laughs) Because God's going to bring judgment for their wickedness. But that's God's to determine. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Mercy belongs to the Lord. God is gracious. You know, it's Jonah's complaint. He, The fact that any of us have received mercy should make us so humble in the sight of one another, and the sight of our enemies, that God, who we were his enemy, and he extended friendship to us, he, at the cost of the life of his own son, he brought us in and made us his own, and he dotes over us, and he sings over us, and he surrounds us, and he protects us, and he lifts us up, and we're the apple of his eye. If that, if that kind of radical transformation from enemy to friend can be done from God to us, then what he's calling on his priests and prophets and kings in this world to do is to look and say, I'm going to trust God with vengeance, but I'm going to love you and I'm going to point you to the truth because I don't dare 
pretend that I'm the one who can hold vengeance in my hand. Because if, if things were truly fair, I'd be on the bottom of God's boot. It's going to need God to transform the heart. And that comes when you come in with the gospel, as Sam said, humbly, wrapped and dripping in mercy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer. The answer is not to – there is nobody who has ever been argued into the kingdom of God by arguing about something other than the gospel. But I will say that the discipleship, we have a discipleship problem in our church where people do not know the wisdom of the scriptures. We do. And so, you know, our, our people perish for a lack of a vision and wisdom. We don't, we don't know the heart of the scriptures, and so we fall into folly again and again and again. Yeah. That's been something that has been a particular focus of yours as, you know, that's kind of like the, what you've been really working on at our church. And there's a real hunger out there among so many people for the word of the Lord and for the, and, and for this, this process of discipleship. Um, and I, I keep going back to it, like we said earlier about the Great Commission. It's not the, – the, Jesus doesn't say go out there and make church members. He says go out there and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And if you get church members along the way, that's cool. But we're here to make disciples. Yeah, one of the one of the things that ends up, and I think this is totally a, a kind of a guess at this, but we laugh at how Jonah ends. You know, the last verse of of the book of Jonah, it says, you know, there's 120,000 persons who don't know their right from their left, comma, and also much cattle. <laughs> and you think, you know, this heavy end of the book, and then you get and also much cattle, and and you think, why is that there? Um, and I think what God is saying is it's not just a matter of their souls, right? You know, you got 120,000 persons in the city who don't know me, but there's also great implications to them coming to know me. Like it transforms the world when they come to know me, when they come to understand who I am. It, it affects how they treat their cattle. And God is so condescending. You know, Jonah doesn't care about the Ninevites, but God not only cares about the Ninevites, but he cares about how they treat their cattle, how they do industry, how they live their lives. And so what he's saying there is it's not just a matter of converting their souls for the afterlife. Mm -hmm. This affects the way the world is being stewarded here and now, and God cares about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's going to be real life, real world implications of these people being transformed. It's going to impact even the cattle, and God cares about the cattle, you know. Which we see, like when God gives the law to Moses, you know, the animals are to have Sabbaths. The land is to have Sabbaths. He cares about the way that we steward our country, um, the way that we we live and and operate. And if you're not, if you're not redeemed, if, if you care more about the stupid little vine that's over your head rather than the true vine, you know, you're going to live in a, a way that's radically different. Yeah. And it's not going to be good for the 120,000 people in your city, and it's not going to be good for the cattle either. Yeah. Well, is that a good note to end on? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the story of Jonah, all these pictures that are that are kind of negative pictures, you know, at the in the first chapter you have the man of God being thrown into the waters so that the mariners have calm. Um and that's a picture of the gospel. You know, Jesus is going to be thrown overboard so that we have peace with God. And here in the last thing, you know, when it talks about this this vine that is savaged and eaten by the worm and it's blasted by the scorching east wind 
and it kind of takes on this judgment. <laughs> you know, when Jesus comes along and says that that he's the true vine, you know, one of the things that makes him the true vine, and this this might be a stretch, but you know, he is the one who loses sanctuary. He's the one who loses peace and security. He is savaged under the wrath of God to pay the penalty for our sins so that we always find refuge. And then, in the power of his resurrection, he gives us this absolute certainty that our identity, that our circumstances, that everything, all of our conditions in this life are utterly secure in him. And he is this unbelievable, beautiful vine that now casts a shade over us, and nothing will ever take that away. It can't be defeated. It can't be ripped away from us. It will forever and ever be over us, for everlasting, going on for eternity. And, you know, when we look and we think about the prospect, what if God came to me today and said, Sam, you know how much you love America? What did you do to build it? What did you do to sustain it? I did all of this. I'm the one who blessed it. I'm the one who grew it. I'm the one who provided all this stuff. What if I were to just rip it away? Right. What if I were to take it all away? Would you be okay? Would Would you be angry at me? Would you feel like I don't have a right to do that? And man, you know, it's like Jonah. Jonah ends. The book of Jonah ends, and you're like, wait, wait, wait. This isn't a happy ending here. <laughs> yeah. It's not a complete ending. It's open-ended. It's open-ended, and I want to say that the reason why it's open-ended is the same reason that Jonah says when God comes to Jonah and says, hey, what if I took away your vine? What if I took away your nation? What if I took away your comfort? Do I have a right to do that? And Jonah's angry. Like he's basically telling God, no, no, you don't. And the godly answer is, God, I've done nothing to earn any of the blessings that I have. They've all been from the kindness of your hand to me. I didn't, I didn't work to build this nation. I didn't, you know, deserve the blessings I've been born from. So if it, if it serves your kingdom, if it serves your purposes to send the scorching east wind and take it away, I would grieve. But I have to say, God, that's your right. Yeah. This is all from your hand. And if it's going to serve your kingdom and your vine to a greater purpose to take away this vine that I really do love, then I can't be angry with you. Yeah, That can't be my ultimate. Yeah. I need to lean and trust in your purposes. Yeah. The gospel in Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll let that stand as our last word. Um, and we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us uh, for this past uh, three weeks as we've been looking at the book of Jonah. We do invite you to correspond with us if there's uh, questions that you have. Maybe you heard something that Sam or I said that you wanted to ask a question about. You can send us email out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O vistachurch.com, uh, where you can also find all the back episodes of Out of Water. Go into our webpage there at riovistachurch.com slash water. Or you can find our, our podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Spotify, and also on our Rio Vista Church smartphone app. It's in all those places. So you can listen wherever you'd like. And uh, we'll be back next week with more. We think, we, we think maybe judges. Um, judges, <laughs> more, think? more uplifting content. More uplifting content. So we think maybe <laughs> judges. We're still talking about it. So I love gonna, judges. You're going to have to tune in next week to find out what we're talking about. It might be judges, or I might talk him into going into the New Testament somewhere. It's scary. You never know. <laughs> but whatever we do, we hope and look forward to seeing you then. 
We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.